Hi there, this is Glenn Dawson. And I'm Linda Dawson. Glenn, with this week's Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast, we are telling the story of when and how the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, became to be, and how it demonstrates the power our God has to comfort our weary souls when the darkest tragedies overtake us. The story behind the verses that still carry the statement of faith from many facing grief, loss, and tragedy, reads like a retelling of the Old Testament book of Job. Before we begin our story, let's go over the words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of the glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in hold, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Because of you, Jesus, it is well. The author, Horatio Spafford, was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago. He had established a very successful legal practice as a young businessman and was also a devout Christian. Among his close friends were several evangelists, including the famous Dwight Moody, also from Chicago. He had a lovely family a wife, Anna, and five children. However, they were no strangers to tears and tragedy. Spafford's fortune disappeared in the wake of the great Chicago fire of 1871. Since he had invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline, he lost everything overnight. In a story similar to that of Job, his son died of pneumonia a short time, before his financial disaster. Yet God, in his mercy and kindness, allowed the business to flourish once more, but the worst was yet to come. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to join and assist Moody and his musician Ira Sankey in one of their campaigns in Great Britain, Spanford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. The traveling party included Horatio and his wife Anna, their four daughters, Anna 11, Margaret 9, Elizabeth 5, and Tantra 2. A friend of Anna's and governess for the young girls, Willie Calder, a young boy of age 12 who was being to sent to visit his grandparents in Germany, and Miss Daniel Goodwin, friend and neighbor of the family, 
with their three children. They were to sail around the Val de Hove, a luxury ship favored for the Atlantic voyages. The Vieux de Hare was formerly the Napoleon III. The ship was altered and enlarged the previous winter and came to Chicago for the first time as on the 9th of uh, April, making the passage from France in nine days and 23 hours. With the exception of the Great Eastern, she was the largest steamer that ever entered this port. Her dimensions were 430 feet by 48 feet. Her carrying capacity was 3,500 tons, freight and measurement. Her main saloon was fitted up with marble paneling of three varieties. The upholstery was velvet, and the woodwork was carved in the most unique designs. Her engines were compound direct acting, as of 3,200 horsepower, and made in England. Shortly before leaving, Rosho was contacted by a man who was interested in buying some of the land from among his fire-damaged properties. He decided to stay behind for the sale. Among the other passengers on the ship were a group of French pastors who had been attending a conference and they were turning home. So Horatio asked the pastors to watch over his family. The ship set sail on November 15, 1873, carrying 313 passengers and crew. In the early morning hours of November the 22nd, 1873, at 2 a.m., the view du Havre was suddenly struck squarely by the Loch Urn, a Scottish iron ship sailing from London to New York, killing some of the sleeping passengers instantly. A news report from the time described the horrifying scene. Men, women, and children, clad only in their night dresses, rushed frantically from the saloons and cabins out onto the deck where their frenzied cries mingled with the rushing of the water as it poured into the sides of the steamer. So severe was the force of the collision that a hole 12 feet deep was cut in the deck of the Villa du Havre, and her iron plates for 25 or 30 feet were completely smashed and broken in. The scene on the deck was the most heart-tendering description. The majority of the passengers were utterly unnerved by the frightful calamity and were hardly able to stretch a finger even to save themselves. Groups of friends were huddled together, trying from their mutual presence to gather fortitude. Others fell on their knees in silent and audible prayer, while not a few gave themselves up to the wildest demonstration of hopeless despair. The water still kept pouring in at a frightful opening which had been made in the vessel's side, and the feeling soon took possession of almost everyone in the ship that the time for safety was short indeed. While the deck was thus covered with thinly clad passengers, the main mast gave way, and with a crashing noise, it fell down on two of the lifeboats, smashing them to pieces and falling among the miserable occupants of the deck, 
killing a number of them outright, while others received frightful injuries. In the midst of all this excitement and despair, the crew fought vigorously under the orders of the captain, who had hurried on deck immediately after the first shock of the collision. And the well boat was cleared away and lowered under the command of the second lieutenant, and seven of the crew got into the captain's boat. These boats had hardly got clear of the ill-fated vessel, which was fast settling down, when she gave a lurch ahead and went down like a shot at a time when there were upwards of 300 persons on board. The captain stuck by the vessel till the last and was heard to order the boats to stand clear just as the vessel made its last fatal plunge. Only 12 minutes had elapsed from the time of the collision until the ship went down. Miss Bafford afterwards wrote of her perspective in a letter to her friend Mary Miller on December 24, 1873. The dear children were so brave. They died praying. Anna said to Margie and me just before she was swept off the streamer, Don't be frightened, Margie. God will take care of us. We can trust him. And you know, Mama, the sea is his. He made it. Those were her last words Margie and Bessie prayed so sweetly. Burford Spafford Vester, a daughter born to the Spaffords a few years later, described what happened next according to what she learned from her mother. As mother was pulled down, she felt her baby torn violently from her arms. She reached out through the water and caught Tanetta's little gown. For a moment she held her again, then the cloth wrenched from her hand. She reached out again and touched a man's leg in corduroy trousers. She had been rolled under and down, and as she rose, unconscious to the surface, a plank floated under her, saving her life. The splash of an oar brought her to consciousness. She was lying in a boat, bruised from head to foot, and sick with seawater, her hair heavy with salt and her thick dressing gown in ribbons. She knew, with no need of being told, that her children were gone. The survivors of the disaster 87 in total, from the earliest account, took refuge aboard the Lockhorn. But with that ship also being badly damaged, they were forced to hail another passenger vessel, the Tri-Mountain, which carried most of the survivors to Cardiff, Wales. The Lockhorn attempted to continue on its journey, only to be abandoned later by its crew, who were rescued by the British Queen. The survivors aboard the Tri-Mountain reached Cardiff on December the 1st, 1873, and brought with them the news about the wreck. The following morning, December the 2nd, 1873, Miss Spafford managed to send a telegram to her husband saying, saved alone, mentioning the loss of the children, the Goodwins and Mr. Calvert. And, and saying she would go to Paris. The telegram was preserved by Mr. Spaldiff and is now held in the Library of Congress. Horatio Spofford immediately set out to find Anna. In a letter he wrote to his sister Rachel, he described the experience of passing over the spot. On Thursday last, we passed over the spot 
where she went down in mid-ocean, the water three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, the dear lambs, and there before long shall we be too. In the meantime, thanks to God, we have an opportunity to serve and praise him for his love and mercy to us and ours. I will praise him while I have my being. May we each one arise, leave all, and follow him. Likewise, Miss Balford was able to find peace in what had happened, writing, How thankful I am that their little lives were so early dedicated to their master. Now he has called them to, their, to himself. If I never believed in religion before, I have strong proof in it now. We have been so sustained, so comforted. God has sent peace in our hearts. He has answered our prayers. His will be done. According to Ira Sankey, the writing of the song came a couple years after the shipwreck, not while Mr. Spafford was on the ocean, as is sometimes reported. Mr. Sankey said in 1876, When we returned to Chicago to work, I was entertained at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Spofford for a number of weeks. During that time, Mr. Spofford wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, in commemoration of the death of his children. The comforting fact in connection with this incident was that in one of our small meetings in North Chicago, a short time prior to their sailing for Europe, the children had been converted. Philip Bliss composed the music and it was sung as a new hymn at Dwight Moody's Crusades. The lyrics and music have gone unchanged in the 140 plus years since, and is one of the most beloved and commonly sung hymns in churches across America. Sadly, the Spaffords lost their next child, Horatio Jr., he, who was born two years later on November 16, 1875 but died of scarlet fever at age four on February 11th, 1880. Ultimately, as one historian described it, the unsympathetic attitude of Christian friends in the midst of their sorrow caused the Spaffords to decide to leave Chicago, settling in Jerusalem and establishing, establishing what is called today the American Colony. The following year, the Spaffords and a few of their friends left America for Israel, settling in the old part of Jerusalem, out of a deep interest in the Holy Land. Their work became known as the American Colony, a Christian utopian society among Jews, Muslims, and Christians, serving the needy, poor, sick, and homeless. After decades of benevolent activities, the colony ceased to be a communal society in the 1950s, though it continued in a second life as the American Colony Hotel, the first home of the talks between Palestine and Israel that eventually led to the 1983 Oslo Peace Accords. Have you ever felt overwhelmed and you felt like you would not be able to bear another heavy load? It can seem like when you get through one challenge, another one comes along, and you wonder, where is God? Does he care? Has he forsaken me? Is he punishing me? 
you feel helpless and all alone, and you go through the feeling of despair and defeat. Rochelle and Anna's faith in God never faltered. It's incredible to think such encouraging and uplifting words were born from the depths of such unimaginable sorrow. It's an example of truly inspiring faith and trust in the Lord. Heartbreak gives birth to great songs. Love lost, loved ones missed, and even tragedies elicit the emotions and can best be expressed in the medium of music. Those songs move listeners to stir up memories, bringing about free feelings of nostalgia or melancholy, that sort of sadness that leaves us feeling better. But how do we encounter a song of worship and gratitude that was inspired by heartbreak? The classic hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, is such a song. Let me ask you this. Is it well with your soul? If you died right now, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Just take a minute and examine yourself and see if you can say for sure you know your eternity. All of us know we're going to die, but one day... We just don't know what day. Jesus said, I come that you might know you have everlasting life. You can be sure of this because he is the one responsible for all creation. He is God. He cannot lie. He loves you. He died for you. He gives you everlasting life. If you will but trust him and believe. Take the time right now to settle this once and for all. Seal your eternity with him in heaven right now. Now let's listen to Glenn as he plays It Is Well With My Soul on the alto sax.
Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. It's so nice to come to you each week. We get such a thrill sharing our podcast with you. New friends and old friends are great to see. The family of God is made up of friends that we will know forever, and that is especially sweet. As we travel down God's highway, we really enjoy the trip with you. We have something new coming down the road. We will be doing this podcast via YouTube video. As we set up this video studio and the video stream, we covet your prayers. It's a lot to do. As we bring you new content, it is our prayer that it's a blessing to you. We're going to be bringing you new topics of interest and continuing the series about the old hymns. It's an exciting time. The distributors of our program like to know what programs that people like to listen to the most and those that get the most liked get distributed to the most people. We're working hard to prepare a program that is interesting and enjoyable and also a blessing. You can help us increase our listenership by subscribing to our channel. When you subscribe, you help us get our numbers up, and for most of the providers, it will cost you nothing. You won't be put on a mailing list and spammed. This only tells the providers of the service that you like us and enjoy the program. So subscribe to us. For example, on YouTube, press the thumbs up button when you see it, then press subscribe. You can also click on the bell if you'd like to be reminded when our podcast has been uploaded. In addition to our podcast, we have a quickly growing list of songs that you can listen to for free. The music we have released on the web can be found by searching for The Music of Glenn Dawson. Be sure to subscribe and check like for the, the music too. The Glenn Dawson Evangelistic Association is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. There is no charge for this ministry. Anything we receive goes into the ministry to pay for ministry expenses. We never ask for money and there are no salaries for this work. It is a labor of love and no one is making anything from it. All of our podcasts are stored on the web. You can catch up on those old podcasts you might have missed by searching for Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. And remember, we love you and we are looking forward to being with you again real soon. God richly bless you and keep you and your family. Bye for now.